Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, for that introduction, and I want to thank all my listeners from around the world. At the end of the year, which was only two months into our program, we are in 47 different countries already. It just shows me that people need to hear the message that never, ever give up hope gives, and that is no matter what we have gone through, there are better days ahead. We don't have to stay in that position, in that state. So I appreciate each one of my listeners. And when you leave your comments, your reviews, it means a great deal to me personally as well. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lois Hollis is with me today. And Lois entered the world of open heart surgery as a registered nurse some 50 years ago. This was when the field was very in, in its infancy very new. She went on to develop one of the first kidney hemodialysis units in the country. Today, she has established a field of study as a shame and guilt educator. Now, that sure sounds really interesting, and this is what she's going to focus on today. She is also the author of her newly released book entitled Emotional Revolution, equals evolution, releasing shame and guilt. Lois, welcome. Thank you so much, Carol, and welcome to many, many, many listeners. My heart is with you. Now, one thing that's interesting with Lois uh, uh, that I want to share with our audience today is that you and I have actually met. Yes. And funnily enough, we spent a night together. <laughs> yes. Because we happen to be in the same uh, conference, in the same hotel, and it just kind of happened as a series of circumstances. And so I got to know Lois really quick, really well, and I appreciated her. She is an encourager. She is a motivator. And she has a heart of gold. And so what she is going to share today, I know, is coming from her heart. Do you remember that night, Lois? Oh, most definitely. Um, brought tears to my eyes. <laughs> when hearts meet, tears flow. That's right. That's I like that. Okay, so as an educator and counselor in the area of shame and guilt, this is an interesting topic. Um, you must have had some firsthand experience that created the desire for you to to help others in this area. So was it something that happened in your childhood or later in life? Can you tell us about that? Well, as um, 
many people today in their middle age, uh, right now I'm 70, so I'm talking like 40s and 50s, I was very um, dissatisfied with my life, had many emotional issues, very depressed, had physical illnesses. And I went to counseling and I didn't really want to commit suicide anymore, but I wasn't happy. And I knew that that is possible. I knew that I could achieve. Retrospectively, then I start looking at my childhood. Carol, there was nothing in my childhood. I remembered nothing. The only thing I could remember is my first Holy Communion and then my teenage years. And uh, I went to counseling and I said, oh, I'm just too stupid to remember. And the counselor said, no, uh, there's a reason why you don't remember. You probably had blocked it out. And at that time, began to think about why I would block it out. Suddenly, I was remembering things. And today, I can say that I had a very abusive childhood, physical beatings, uh, sexual abuse, emotional dysfunction, which came from my dyslexia. And I also, five, two years ago, I just realized I had Irene syndrome, I-R-L-E-N. Today, it's recognized as a syn- syndrome with or without dyslexia. And Carol, this was something that was very poignant in my childhood because I would take a book and open it up and try to read and the words would move. My goodness. And as you can imagine, if you open a book and the words are moving, you can't read. Right. And uh, remember now in the first grade opening the book. And since I couldn't read, the teacher would, well, it was Catholic school. The nuns would put me in front of the class to make an issue of me yes. not be able to read. Yes. And Using shame. That's where the shame comes yeah, in. Yeah, that was yes. shame. But I mean, at then I didn't know anything. Of course. Uh, I just would uh, um, cry. And I would ask the teacher, how can I make the words stand still so I can learn to read. And she laughed at me and hit me and she beat me because I was making fun of her. And then I asked my um, siblings, can you help me? And they also laughed. So I was put in the back of the classroom as a, um, I don't know what you would call them. They just put me in the back of the classroom. Yeah. They, they, then they, I remember them calling my parents in and they said that they cannot teach me anything, but they would keep me in school and don't expect anything from me because I couldn't read or write. Because of my problems in school, the teachers, who were the nuns, had asked my parents to come in for a talk. At that time, they had sp- stated that I was unteachable. I could not learn to read or write and I would be placed at the back of the classroom, but they would still keep me in school. I, uh, How did your parents react to that? I can't remember, Carol, but mm. I remember every time that I was doing something at home, I had three siblings. It was always told to me, well, you know, don't try to teach Lois. She can't learn how to do that. You know? So it was an ongoing thing that, I was just the retard of the family and nobody expected me to do anything. And in some ways, I guess it was a blessing because I was left alone. (laughs) It's one way to look at it. Yes. And after I had a near-death experience in my childhood, I communicated with um, other dimensions, which was much better than reading and writing. It's, it's hard to say what's good and bad. However, 
uh, the shaming guilt, you know, does carry on how much you can rationalize the spiritual experience. So as my childhood began to unravel, I became more and more aware, <coughs> excuse me, aware of the problems I was having in my adult life. I had uh, gone to therapy many, many times, and the therapist would always say, write about what's happening. I did this religiously, but it never seemed to help. So I decided to write to my emotions, not about my emotions. Interesting. Very big, big step. Explain that. I would say, hi, anger. What do you have to tell me? Who are you? What do you want to say to me? I love you, even though you make me feel sad. And what did that do for you? That opened up the whole world of myself. I discovered that each part of our our emotions are really um, a part of our personality. And I'm sure that most people are aware of the fact that we have um, an inner child, or I say an inner family. I discovered that there are many aspects of ourselves as personality parts, and if we communicate with them, humanize them, they in turn bring back to us what they know about our lives that we cannot access. Why don't you give us an example of that? Well, my anger part would tell me that she was angry at the way I was beaten. As she was beaten, not I was beaten, she was beaten. My six-year-old child inside of me. My eight-year-old child inside of me was depressed and cried. And I found that each one of my emotions... Not each one, but the, the big ones. Everyone has sadness or depression. Each one, each person has a certain personality emotion that is strong within them. I just have said what my emotions were labeled as. And then my emotions gave themselves names. And they weren't always my name. And I found out if I could communicate with them, they changed in their appearance. And they would even change their clothes from dark clothes to light clothes. Would this be like um, the children that you hear who are are um, trying to squelch their pain through an invisible friend? Would you say that that's in the same scenario? Well, I think scenario? children that have... Um, Oh, uh, what do you call that? Invisible, um, what do they call them? Invisible friends or? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think, I know, I don't think, I know that they are externalizing the internal personality parts that they have. It's a form of escape, right? Well, it's a way of dealing with it. Okay. And I have since then helped other children with their own pain by talking to an animal or some doll and having them make a dialogue between the doll and cells. And that's in therapy the you're talking about, right? Have. In therapy, you mean? Yes. Okay. And um, I usually have the parents. I usually teach the parents to teach the child. I think that's a lot 
easier for a child to accept from its mother than a person coming in and say, hey, we got a Of course, of course. And so it's been very, very, very successful. And it only takes an hour or two. And the child just loves to talk to their doll and the doll talks to them and they're healing. So what what happens at that point? Do they continue that uh, dialogue? When well, they, what, after what happens is that I discovered again that we have these children personality parts in us. Everybody has some semblance of something. But there's a hierarchy of information here. We also have a teenager. And I think, Carol, you've been around enough and you find people that are adults and they act like teenagers. They don't take responsibility and their entitlement, the narcissism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the teenager part takes is really the critic that everyone talks about, the internal critic we have. And a lot of the um, um, the, uh, therapies today tell you to silence their critic. Oh, dis- dismiss it. You know, you're a big person. You're not able to um, work with me. I just silence you, put you away, and I go about my business. This is wrong because the critic needs to be heard and loved the same as the little children need to be loved and you need to love. The inner critic is part of you. You cannot slice them out and throw them in a hole. And Carol, the most amazing thing is that the inner critic is really our shame guilt producer. What do you mean by that? There is something called the shame guilt quota, Q-U-O-T-A. That means that the shame guilt inner critic must maintain the amount of shame and guilt we receive on a daily basis, either from others or themselves, as the same amount as we have repressed during our lifetime. Now, this is a huge discovery because people, many people, and the people that I have been in contact with have tried many, many, many therapies to get rid of shame and guilt, but they still are stuck. And the reason they're stuck is because they're fighting against themselves until a person makes peace with the inner critic and gets rid of or decreases the amount of the shame guilt quota. The inner critic will continually make shameful experiences in procrastination, um, self um flagellation, shameful experiences, accepting shame and guilt until that quota is lessened. Does that make sense, Carol? A little bit. Um, it's it, very deep, but yes, it's yes. so important to mention because I, my work is about helping people live a shame, a, a, um, an empowered existence. Would you say that that is a form of arrested development? And that this is what you're trying to move them uh, forward from? Um, I guess you could say that. Uh, I think we all live in an arrested development until we make a conscious effort to know what shame guilt is and how to release it and never take it on from another person. But most of us, including myself, didn't even know that what someone said to me was a shame, shaming and guilt. I mean, all jokes and teasing are shaming and guilting. 
I mean, just over Christmas, someone said, oh, you can't take a joke. I said, no, I don't take shame, guilt. A, j a joke is just an excuse for using shame and guilt. Okay, elaborate on that a little bit. Well, someone says, oh, I'm just teasing with you. Oh, you look fine. No, teasing is, 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 is shaming. No, teasing is not fun. How do you feel when someone teases you? Are you asking me? Yeah. I, I, mean, I usually it? laugh and you, agree you with them because you, I find you, it funny. It's kind of funny, but it's funny in a, a sick way. It doesn't make you feel good. Oh, I'm just teasing you. I guess it would depend upon the source, would it not? It would depend on the sarcasm used. Too. Yes. Okay. 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 Oh, you're so silly when you do that. Well, it, it's showing you that you don't do something right. It brings up your. Um, it's a it's a very low form of bullying. Well, do you find then um, that people are more careful? For example, this I know is getting off the subject a little bit, but are they more careful what they say that they don't offend you? I mean. I'm trying well, to understand the picture they, here, you know. They, 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 um, I, it's just interesting because I don't accept things. It's just like they'll say something and they can energetically feel that it's just like Teflon. It just doesn't stick. <laughs> and you weren't always like that. That's the point. Well, of course not. This is, this is the present. But what, Carol, um, going back to my childhood, Finally, I'm 72. Finally, 15, 20 years ago, I realized my whole life was built on shame. I remember people laughing. They would tease me because I would always blush. So they wanted to see you blush. Yes. And you okay. know that's, that's shame. And mm -hmm. I'm a highly sensitive person. Highly sensitive people are extremely vulnerable to shame and guilt. Because they can't develop a thick skin. So is that the is that the goal to develop a thick skin? What is no, the goal? Okay, what it's is not the goal? Okay, it's just that a lot of people develop a thick skin and laugh like ah that doesn't affect me, but it affects them deeper okay. because they hide it. Fair enough. People that are sensitive are very very lucky because right away they know the remark is offensive. Right away they know that the drug they take is not good for them so people say oh you're too sensitive I said oh thank you so much for the compliment because my <laughs> body my body is so reactive that it immediately knows what's right and wrong so they that, probably that's great they don't expect that at all do they <laughs> no so if anybody's uh, listening who is a called a highly sensitive person congratulations i applaud you and you and if anyone calls you you're too sensitive say thank you so much for the compliment because it is a great great thing to have but anyway so my mission is to help other people realize what shame i say shame guilt because shame and guilt is like a seesaw shame on one side guilt on the other Shame is in the unconscious and guilt is in the conscious and it's from one single source. They're not separate. We just call them separate because they have different characteristics. They're just as um, dangerous to our humanity. What would be your definition of the two individually? Shame is an energy that affects the unconscious nervous system that affects 
our internal organs and our unconscious. Guilt is an energy that affects our conscious behavior. So it's a cycle. We shame ourselves 24-7. The echoes of shame. Guilt is the echoes of shame. That's one of my quotes in the book. I like that. Guilt is the echoes of shame that describe our unworthiness. And people have come to me many, many times and they say they just can't get rid of guilt. They can't get rid of guilt no matter how much they meditate or mind map, etc. And what do you do for them? I help them find the shame that's fueling the guilt. You will never get... You not never, but it's very difficult to get rid of guilt because if you don't get rid of the shame that's fueling the guilt, you always have guilt. Now, it's like gasoline on a fire. Right, I can understand that. So that's you know, guilt is the fire, but if shame is the mm-hmm. gasoline that you pour on the fire and it explodes. So that's why you need to talk to the shame guilt producer within you to work it out. Now, you, um, I'm just reading back here. When I introduced you, it says that you established a field of study as an educator. Where has this gone? Is it, is it you yourself? Is, there a, is it a team effort? Do you have others that have you know, picked up this ball as well? Have you trained people? Like what, is, uh, what is happening in that respect? Very good question. Okay, today... Uh, I'm waiting for my book to come out, which should be in about two or three weeks. And the reason I'm waiting for that is because I have a lot of proprietary knowledge in it that I don't want out until the book is out. Okay. At that time, I have uh, a lot of videos. I have um, webinars that I'm starting to educate people. I have many projects along the line. Videos of what? Uh, I'm training, like I'm talking to you. Training videos, okay. It's like, hello, what is shame guilt? This is what it is. We've been told as many things, but seriously, this is what it is. And and there are some examples of it. We're talking stage one. Okay. Is what is it? Step two is how to recognize it. Good point, okay. Step three is how to not take it on, because now you know what it is. And step four is how to release what you have taken on to get it out of you. It's and that's enough. the healing, right? Well, your body heals when you get rid of shame. You don't have to heal your body. You need to get rid of the shame and guilt that's stopping it from healing. And when you're talking healing, are you talking physical or emotional? Both. Because shame guilt affects the nervous system. It distorts the energy of the nervous system. The nervous system, like a computer, sends faulty information to your body, to the organs. Shame and guilt is an energy that affects the nervous system. And it changes the tension along the lines of our nervous system, which affect every organ in our body emotionally and physically and spiritually. Why don't you give us a couple examples, if you could, of course, without mentioning any names or even ages or whatever, of people who have like maybe extreme cases or or one that stands out in your mind. 
of who you've of, been of able to help care. of who you've been able to help in this regard okay um there's many levels uh, the first level that <clears throat> i talk with some people is um met, usually um husband and wife teams interesting and, okay yeah they have um and they love each other and everything works but they just can't communicate and it's not because they don't love each other. It's just they're using shame, guilt words that they have been trained to use, like we all have, Carol. Um, so I teach them the same thing that I'm talking to you about. This is shame. Tell me how you spoke to your wife. Well, this is what I said to her. And I said, okay, what you did was you shamed her. He says, no, I didn't. I just said these words. Okay, I'm saying to you that these are shaming, guilty words. So can you say this another way? Say, Oh, that's a very interesting concept. Can you tell more about it? Instead of saying, you stupid jerk, why'd you say Uh that? uh uh Okay, this sounds very mundane, but it's huge. It's huge. When you throw shame at somebody, what do they do? They They receive it, right? (laughs) Or they receive it. It's a tennis match. (laughs) Good point. That's very good. So it's tennis, tennis. So how do you win the game? You don't play the game. And this is all in my book. How not to play the game. So your book is strictly a self-help, right? It's not a no, memoir it's of any kind? No, it's It's philosophy. It's okay. historical. It's, it's, it's got it all. It took five years to write it. So, so your it, research included what? Uh, what, has, what has shame and guilt been called in other cultures? How it's different in each culture? And how it is tossed the word... And the behavior is tossed around so many times that you, me, average people don't even know what we're talking about. Hmm. Each person you talk to, they have a different idea of what shame and guilt is and how it should be used. There is healthy shame and there's toxic shame and healthy guilt and toxic guilt. And I say it that's an oxymoron. Shame and guilt is destructive. It can't be healthy. What you're doing is trying to rationalize why you use it. It has to be historical, my book, and it has to be a certain amount of self-help. And I give the reasons why. So anyway, back to helping people. Once I help people communicate non with non-shame guilt words, that tends to heal. Okay, that's I and think then they don't what take I was asking. Personally. Yes. Yes. They're not angry at each other. They go, oh, I'm sorry I used the wrong words. But that's how my mother used to talk to me. Mm. That's how the teacher talked to me. Now, there's two types of people. There's the people that give shame and guilt and the people that accept it. Now, the people that accept it usually are called victims. And the people that give it usually are called narcissists. <laughs> Neither, and, and if you look at a marriage or any relationship, usually there's the narcissist and the victim. And sometimes the victim turns to be the narcissist, the narcissist turns to be the victim. So once people start to understand that, then they have a way of talking to each other. That's step number one. And I've saved a couple marriages already. Really? Just by doing that. That alone, what we're just talking now, can hmm. save marriage. I certainly can understand that. I see the, you know, the what you're I trying to. The whole premise, Carol, is that yes, we're not yes. stupid and we are not ill. We are not unhealthy. Mm-hmm. We're just ignorant to what shame and guilt is. 
And how did you actually um, come up with this idea? Um, like I understand, you know, your background, et cetera, but like what happened to trigger it that you said, oh, I can take what I know here and teach others? Like what was the pivotal point? When I, I was living in Sedona and my health was very poor and I was doing what I'm talking to you about, and all of a sudden, um, my friends kept on saying, you look wonderful, you look younger and you're healthier. What did you do? And in Sedona, it's a very healing space, so everybody wants to know what you're doing. And I told them I was talking to myself and in a very, you know, formatted way mm-hmm. and getting rid of shame and guilt. And they said, can they do it? I said, well, I guess you can. Um, I, I just did it to get well. Okay, so I taught them how to do things, and they got well. And then they called their parents and their cousins and their neighbors, and they came to see me, and they got well. And that's how it started. I was called to action. and I. How long have you been doing this? Oh, about 15 years now. Really? And, Carol, the reason I wrote my book was because for 15 years, I've been telling everybody that comes to me the same information. And all of them, I can say 99.9%, because not everybody's interested in getting better, changed to the positive. Everybody changed differently, of course, because the more you put into it, you know, the more you'll see. Of course. But everyone had a positive response. If the, and it didn't matter if they were schizophrenic, depressed, manic depressant, bipolar, anxiety, anger. It didn't matter the clinical diagnoses. And do you do this online as well? Or are you yes, going I to do. Be, I have okay, clients okay. in uh, Australia and China at this point and Canada. And how many sessions do you usually do with an uh, individual? I know it would vary, but uh, on average. Usually one session can turn somebody around, two can really help. Anything more than that really gives them more and more information, and that's where the webinars and cetera can, um, can really be very beneficial. But usually one or two sessions, I can they turn around. They get it. That's why I said we're not dumb. We're not stupid. We're not, un- we're not unhealthy. We're just ignorant. No one has given this information out. People can heal themselves with the right information. Just like the body can heal itself with the right tools. Of course it can, mm-hmm. yes. So that's my job job. <laughs> and that's why I love you and I appreciate <laughs> And you're not, you're not quitting anytime soon, are you, Lois? Oh, I just feel like, <laughs> oh, thank God. I finally have a purpose. Oh, isn't that amazing that sometimes it's later in life when you find out what you really... Well, but I can look at my life and say, see how it all has climaxed. Because I wouldn't have the chutzpah, so to speak, Mm -hmm. to be so bold and say, hello, I have this new thing that really works. I don't think I could do that at 30 and 40. I wouldn't have that confidence behind me. Well, sometimes it's confidence, but also I think sometimes it's experience too, is it not? Yes, it's the whole thing. I don't Mm -hmm. know, you know, um, I think you become, I I think that humanity really evolves within themselves. And when you reach your later years, I say 60 or 70, I think you become very wise. 
if you have been doing your work. So I intend to stay around a long, long time because I got a big, big job. <laughs> I hear you very loud and clear. <laughs> now, you said something interesting that uh, on your website that I want to ask you about. How does shame or guilt rob you of the power to feel or give love? And the reason I asked that, when I thought about it before discussing this with you now, you know, getting a different understanding, I, I thought that in some ways guilt would actually help you to love and appreciate deeper, not less. How do you respond to that? Okay, guilt comes from, well, it's, it's an outside energy that comes in. Guilt is not of humanity and guilt is not of your soul. So if it's not of your soul energy or your heart energy, it cannot be the love. It's mental love. It's not soul heart love. Okay. Does that make sense? A little bit. A little the guilt, bit. I, the, the guilt is, see, we're evolving as a species in humanity. And we have to evolve out of, I have to do that because if I don't help my neighbor move, I'll feel so guilty. Okay. I prefer to say, I feel to help my neighbor because I feel like it's the right thing to do to help her. Isn't, I feel it's right. Isn't that part of the difficulty people have in saying no? Yes. Also, no, because they have shame about what will happen to them. Well, mm-hmm. who knows? Everybody has the reason. Every time you think it, it's not the same thing. It depends what the inner self says to yourself. But most people don't want to face shame at all cost. Um, there is a... Um, is it can fear? I tell is it fear? Pardon? Is it fear? Well, fear is shame. Okay. Can I, can I give you just a quick... Sure, story? sure. Because this is the ultimate example of, of not wanting to be shamed again. Um, this is a true story. I don't know the names, but uh, my children, when they were in high school, at, this was their junior, senior year, and uh, one of the students had borrowed his father's Mercedes car for the prom. I mean, he, the father let him borrow it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Unfortunately, he had an accident coming home from the prom, and the, their Mercedes was totaled. He killed himself rather than telling his father he, he oh. destroyed his Mercedes. Oh. So, and I'm sure that there's other other stories yes. that anybody yes. can muster up, but this is the fear of ever being shamed. And I remember I used to write, write, write so much. And one thing that I did write when I was... Um, very suicidal. I said, dying doesn't frighten me. Fear frightens me. Like I can't, I would, it's easier to die than feel the shame. We are so, um, shame is cut so deeply into our soul, Carol, our heart, our soul, that it does produce these horrible negative feelings we have. And I call shame and guilt a pseudo-emotion. It's not an emotion, but it's a pseudo-emotion that's gasoline that fires all our anxiety, our depression, and other examples of our negativity. 
So fear of being shamed is reason that you have guilt. And isn't shame a tool that many parents use with young children or yes, guilt? Yes, they do. It's called healthy shame. Now explain that one to me. I have, I just can't see that one. But in my book, this is so great. I found um, a wonderful excerpt. John Lockie in 1852 was considered the expert on education and training a child to be a gentleman. And he advocated the use of shame to beatings. He said, you can beat and beat a child, but if you add shame to the beatings, you can make the child compliant. Hmm. So I'm not saying he is he is the only one, but he, he mm-hmm. among others, advocate the use of shame in making children obey. Luckily today, we have a new trend that starts with motivators and talking, etc., uh, to help children arrive at a solution that's both parent and child are come to together. And this is nothing new. But I'm saying to you is that shame and guilt are ingrained in our culture. And we have to understand that. And that's where my book brings the history in. But when you say healthy shame, isn't that a, like a thermometer, though, too? as a guide for whether we are, especially in children? I can't understand the question. Um, well, as you're talking, I'm thinking, and I'm trying to remember how I raised my children and whatever, and, and we all did it, I'm sure. Of course, we don't uh, know, you know any different. Exactly. But isn't there also a protect, protection, so to speak, by, for example, um, you know, by telling your child not to run across the street and uh, because this is what's going to happen. It's a form okay, of... Okay, you're talking about um, cause and effect. Right, can exactly. Use cause and effect, we don't need to shame. Okay, okay. And, so- and you can explain that to your child. Say, if you put your finger on the hot stove, it'll burn. It's called cause and effect. That's all. There's no shame there. It's just a simple thing. But we do use guilt in that scenario, don't we? You don't have to. It depends on how the parents say it. Oh, I understand what you're saying. I'm just making a point that this is um, it's it's normal very behavior. Common. Yes, yes. And that's what I'm saying. It's shame, guilt. I say shame, guilt because they're together. Shame, guilt is so-called normal behavior. And this is that's why I said I got a big job. <laughs> Our communications are sloppy. And it hurts. It hurts. Besides um, married couples, who else have you been able to help as far as communicating? Well, once they uh, communicate, I usually help them with the narcissist victim thing. Okay. And identify who's doing what to what who. And that really helps them out a lot. And then if they're interested, we go to another level where where did they get the shame and guilt in their childhood? Like you said, there's always abuse in the childhood. Uh-huh. Well, that's the shame and guilt. Okay. And we, we go back in time and 
go to those situations and release the shame and guilt that was put upon them because it's an energy. You just take it off and give it back to the universe or give it to back to the shamer. And that's that. Once it's gone, it's gone. You don't heal shame and guilt. You heal the effects of it. Do you feel that you have arrived or do you feel that this is an ongoing learning uh, therapy even in your own life? Every day I do some shame guilt work because it, it still comes in. It's okay. amazing. Okay. But I can tell you that I can spot it quicker. Okay. And I can get rid of it quicker and I'm happier. And it's like a, a 30 seconds. It's 10 seconds. Before it used to take me, you know, one year. Oh, yeah, that's You're right. Car- carrying the, the load and the pressure and whatever. Uh, yeah, has been but now to- it's, in- it's instant. It's very exciting. And your book, we talked about that a bit. Anything else you want to share about that? Like, um, are you going to use it? Like, are you going to be speaking uh, in different venues? Or Yes, I can. I have been speaking, and um, I have done many workshops. And my book is, um, it could be a workshop guide, but it really needs to be in a workshop setting as well. Uh, the book. Okay. It's, it's, it's um it you can read it by yourself, but it's good to share with others. And yeah. I recommend shame guilt guilt. Um, uh, when I was in Sedona, I had several um groups that we would meet like once a week or something to discuss different aspects of their lives. And while this one person said this to one person, what do you think about it? And then the other person would help that person see where the shame and guilt came in why, and how to get rid of it. So I was teaching each other to help each other, sort of like having a shame-guilt buddy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because we can't see it in ourselves. I understand that, absolutely. Because it hides. Yes. Well, this has certainly been enlightening, Lois. This is, um, and I'm sure it has been for many of the listeners, because this is an area where we don't hear much about but we certainly, it's very prevalent in most of our lives. Yes, yes. And there's a lot of people say that, oh, they don't have any shame because they're good people and they give to the poor. <laughs> oh, and, I, and, 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 you know, Carol, they're right. In their conscious mind, they don't have shame. But if you ask the unconscious mind, it will say something differently. So I applaud the people that are willing to take a look and say, gee whiz, that was shaming. Duh. Okay, I get it. It's okay. Now, you wanted to do this interview close to Valentine's Day and to bring, um, what what aspect of this did you want to bring? I wanted for? to bring self-love into it because okay. uh, that's what it's about. We can give our dearly loved ones some flowers or cards and say I love you but unless we love ourselves as we all know this Mm -hmm. is new we can't really share our love that we have for ourselves with somebody else because we don't have the love to share not that we don't want to it's just where's the love well it's covered in a blanket of shame the more shame we can get rid of the more love we can find we don't make love we are love And I'm sure that we have all heard this. And we're all very like, well, where is the love? Where is the, like, show me the money. Where is the love? 
Well, the love is under the shame. So if you want love in your life, find the shame that someone gave to you or you gave to yourself and get, and just throw it away. I mean, it, it really is. You just release it. I make it sound easy, but in actuality, it is easy. The hardest thing is to recognize it and know what it is. It's like house cleaning, Carol. You would mm. say, all the trash on the floor just go away. Well, you really do have to pick up the dirty cups and the dirty knives and forks and the trash on the floor and throw it in the trash can. Well, that's what you got to do with shame. You got to actually pick it up out of your life and get rid of it. On that note, I think that's a good place to stop for now. And you certainly have, as I mentioned, given us food for thought. I know that there's going to be lots of questions. I know that you will be open to these questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your website, we will have all that contact information where people can uh, reach you and um, ask their questions, set up sessions. And I know that you are available and we'll be looking forward to your book which is going to be released very soon. And the title again is Emotional Revolution Equals Evolution, Releasing Shame and Guilt. You got it. Okay. Thank you, Lois. This has been... I would like to leave with one... Yes, anything you want to... Or a call to action. If you have a call to action, share that as well. I just would like to say shame and guilt are not ours to own. That is excellent. Shame and guilt are not ours to own. Or give. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> dot, 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 right? <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Love you, Carol. And thank you so much, Lois. Bye-bye.